you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. So today we're, we're actually kicking off a brand new sermon series today. We just got out of the Heaven series. If you weren't here uh, for that series, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, it, it was great. I really enjoyed that. And um, we, it was kind of a, a lot of paradigm shifts and really just kind of getting back to the, what, what the Word of God actually says about this place called heaven, because this heaven is such a place. It is, it is definitely a place that we can look forward to. So, so now we're actually starting a brand new series called The Comfort Shatter. The Comfort Shatter. In this series, we're going to be focusing on some of the hard teachings of Jesus. Really, the, the focus of this sermon series as a whole is to get back to some of the basics, some of those bare-bone basics, because no matter how long you've been following Christ, I don't care if it's, it's been 50 years or more, man, we should never get past, we should never move past or grow tired of reminding ourselves of some of those fundamental basics of the faith. In fact, in the New Testament, when you look at the you know, different, different references in the New Testament, actually references or kind of a similar um, kind of reference, I guess you could say, um, to the, the Christian walk, our faith, to that of an athlete and like an athlete's life. Because when you look at an athlete's life, one thing that athletes never do, especially those that take it seriously, some of the best in the world, is they never move past the fundamentals, ever. It doesn't matter who it is, it doesn't matter what the sport is, they never move past the fundamentals. So if you're you know, think about, for example, basketball players. Where are some of the best basketball players in the world at? They're in the NBA, right? So if you think about NBA players, best in the world, they know more about the sport than anybody else. They practice day in and day out, years of their life they've dedicated to this. But regardless of the fact that they know more about this sport than anybody else, they're better about it. They're better at that sport than anybody else. They never move past those basic fundamentals. I mean, the fundamentals that you got these elementary school kids, that you're teaching the elementary school kids how to do. Like, for example, you know, for basketball, it's layups or, you know, jump shots or free throws, rebounds. They're consistently practicing those things every single week for hours. And here's why. Because they know, they understand that they move past those bare-bone basics, those fundamentals of that sport. If they stop reminding themselves of how important they are, if they, if they stop practicing those things, then what will happen is they will start to grow weak in some of the most important central aspects of their game. And what that will translate to is they will start to get weak in every single aspect of their game. That's why it's so important to them. And they practice them week in and week out. And guys, it's the same thing when it comes to our faith. When it comes to our faith, if we move past the basic fundamentals of our faith, if we stop practicing on a consistent weekly basis the basic fundamentals of our faith, what's going to happen is we're going to weak in those areas. If we grow weak in those areas, what it will translate to is we'll start to grow weak in every single aspect, every area of our faith. And that's why this is so important. So that's what we're doing through this series is getting back to those basic fundamentals, starting with today one of the most important ones, which is the original call of Jesus Christ to follow me, when Jesus gives us that call to follow me. And one of the most important things when we're talking about the call of Christ is that when Christ calls, it's all or nothing. That's our big idea today. The call of Jesus is all or nothing. In other words, he doesn't give us middle ground with this. There's not a, it's not a fence to straddle. When Jesus calls us, he calls us to come and bring everything that we have and everything that we are as we follow him, or we don't follow him at all. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for one, the, the fact that you call us, Jesus. The fact that we actually have the opportunity to respond to your call, to respond to your grace. And Holy Spirit, I pray for those, of, if there's anybody here today that's never responded to your grace, their eyes have never been open, I pray, I pray that you open their eyes. 
I pray that you help them to respond to this gospel message, to what you have done, Jesus, and help us to understand it's about what you have done and not what we've done. I thank you so much. And for those of us that are here today that are already followers, disciples of yours, I pray that you just draw us in closer to you. Help us to understand all the more what it actually means to follow you, Jesus, to be your disciple. Help us to be intentional in our walk with you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you take over this sermon, that you take over this message. Speak in and through me. Use me, a broken, sinful man, broken, sinful vessel in desperate need of your grace. Jesus, we thank you, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. All right, so if you got your Bible today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. So you can go ahead and break it open, Mark 10. If you don't have it, that's okay. We'll have it up on the screen um, here in just a moment. And just to... Just kind of a heads up, it's going to be a little bit, it's going to be actually a lot shorter today, a lot more focused than usual as we kind of dive into what this call actually looks like and what it means, practically speaking, for us as followers of Christ when we respond to this call or when we don't respond to that call. And a couple of the things that we're going to see through this text today as we dive into this topic of the call of Jesus is for one, that call, which is really a command of Jesus to follow me, it's one of the most simplistic commands that we could ever get, but it's also one of the most profound commands that we could ever get. And it's one of the easiest decisions that we could ever make in our life to actually respond to that call, to follow Jesus, but it can also be one of the hardest. So let's check this out as we dive into this text. Mark chapter 10, again, it'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Mark 10, starting with verse 17. This is what it says. As he was setting out on a journey, this is talking about Jesus, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. Right? Catch that. He loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was, and this is talking about the man, he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. So there's so many different things that we see in this text, but right off the bat, when we look at this text, one of the first things we see is this dude comes up to Jesus, and what does he do? He kneels down before him. And so if you you, you think about this scene, so you paint this picture in your mind. Jesus is about to leave, right? He's about to go. This guy runs up to Jesus. The first thing he does is he hits the floor. He, He bows down, kneels down before him. And so what we see there just in the first few words is, It seems like this guy gets it. It's like, dude, this guy automatically, he's like showing humility, right? He respects Jesus, and he also notices that Jesus carries with him some sort of authority. So at first, at first glance, it seems like, dude, this guy gets it. But what we start to see as we dive into that text is this guy completely misunderstands the kind of authority that Jesus carries. See, see, this guy is showing respect and humility. He thinks he has, Jesus has the kind of authority like a good teacher does. And that's actually what he he calls him. He calls him a good teacher. But the problem with this is Jesus is not just some good teacher. Yes, he's a good teacher, but he is so much more than that. Jesus Christ is Lord of Lord, King of Kings. More to the point, Jesus Christ is the God of the universe. And so when this happens, this guy misunderstands this. Jesus automatically corrects this by asking him a question. Check this out. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except for who? Except for God alone. And see, when Jesus is doing this, he's doing this for a couple of reasons. For one, he wants this guy to actually think about what he's saying. He's essentially saying, look, don't just call me good. Think about what you're saying here. And see, the Jews understood this. Like culture, they understood that the only person that's good, the only one that is good is God. 
Like men are sinful, like we, we need God, right? And so God is the only one that truly is good. When you think about the, the pure sense of the word good, it's only God. So he's like, dude, don't just call me good. If you're going to call me a good teacher, why are you calling me good? He wants him to think about this. And if you look at the Gospels, Jesus does this all the time. He loves, rather than just telling somebody, like giving them a straight up answer, or, or just like really, you know, a simple, um, straight, you know, statement or something, what does he do? He makes people think about what he's saying. He says things in a way and forces us to really think about it, right? So that we can wrestle with the truth for ourselves. And that's what he wants this man to do. He wants him to think about what he's saying and what Jesus is saying as well so he can wrestle with the truth. What he really wants him to do is he wants him to dive deeper. He wants him to dive deeper because what this dude is doing, he's doing something that all of us love to do. All of us. He's uh, being, we love all of us being really superficial, especially when it comes to like our outward appearance. And so you think about it like, you know, with the clothes that we wear, right? I was a little subconscious because my shirt got a little wrinkled today, you know? So, and that's, that's a perfect example of that. But we love, I mean, we're superficial about the clothes that we wear, you know, that, the way that we do our hair, you know, how we look, how we act um, if we go out in public, how we look, how we act when we go to work, or, or what about this one, how we look and how we act when we come to church, and we're so good at putting the mask on, right? Painting that picture of what we want other people to see when they see us. But the other thing that we can be really superficial about is when it comes to dealing with our issues, right? We could be really superficial. All of us can struggle with this when it comes to dealing with our issues. We love to just sweep things under the rug. We like to just pretend like they don't exist. It's the skeletons in the closet that we don't want anybody else to know about. And it might be, maybe for somebody in here, it might be a struggle with pornography. That we just want to sweep under the rug. We want to pretend like it's not a big deal. You know, it's not a big deal that I struggle with it. It's not hurting anybody else. Or maybe it's like some pills that, you know, every once in a while you're popping. And not just like something that the doctors prescribe, but you're taking advantage of that. Or maybe it's anger or control that you just, you want to stuff down. Like, it's not a big deal. I got I to gotta handle on this. It's not a big deal. Or maybe it's like unforgiveness. And you just don't want to forgive, forgive somebody. Oh, yeah, they hurt me too badly. I'm just going to stuff it. It's not a big deal. But it comes out in bitterness and resentment. I mean, we all have those things. Whatever those things are for you, these things are kind of like the core struggles in our life. They're the core issues, the core struggles. And we've all got all kinds of different struggles, me included, all of us. If we were to sit here and list out all the struggles, like we would be here all day and then some. But then we've got these like core issues, these core struggles that we deal with. And what happens, especially with the core issues, those core struggles, these are the main things, kind of the root of our sinful fleshly desires and actions. They're the things, the main things that really separate us from God. They try to separate us from the presence of God, but more than that, what they do is they try to in turn actually replace God with something called idols. They separate us from God, but more than that, they replace God with idols in our life. And for this man in this story, one of the main things that he was struggling with was control. And from that control stemmed a couple of idols. One of those idols that we see in this text is a spiritual resume. So in other words, on the outside, this dude looked like he had it all together. He looked like, I mean, if you were to look at this guy, if he were alive today, like if, especially if he's in like in a really religious church that's like steeped in religion, he would have looked like, I mean, one of the most well-respected godly men around like oh yeah that's brother bob over there he's got it together i mean look at all these good things he does like you know he gives to the church he gives all these different things he all these different things that he's done he would have looked great on the outside right and his spiritual resume he had all these different little spiritual 
check in the boxes. But the thing is, though, the truth is this guy had completely missed the whole point. From the outside, and he, he looked great, but he had completely missed the whole point because, guys, it's not about how good we think we look on the outside because it's really our perception, how good we think we look. It's not about how many good deeds, right? Not even talking about why we did them, but the good deeds that we did in our life. It's not about that. What does the Bible say about every single one of us? No matter how we look on the outside, no matter how many good deeds we've done in our life, the Word of God tells us that we are like filthy rags compared to a holy, righteous, perfect God. Every single one of us. In other words, it doesn't matter what you do. There's nothing that you can do to impress God. You know, you're not going to impress God, in other words, like with wearing your Sunday best. Anybody ever heard that before, wearing your Sunday best? I don't even know what that means. But wearing your Sunday best, like you're not going to impress God trying to wear the best clothes you have. There's nothing wrong with that if you like dressing nice. But but this idea that that's somehow going to earn you brownie points in heaven or you're not going to impress God by doing a bunch of good deeds. What we have to understand at the end of the day, there is absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing that we can ever do to impress the God of the universe. The only thing that we can do, the only thing that, that we can bring to the table by responding is by opening our eyes to the scandalous grace of God, to see the filth that every single one of us is drenched in and our absolute need for salvation. That's the only thing that we can do. But this man in this story, the only thing that he sees is how good he thinks he looks to other people around him and the good deeds that he thinks he's done. And the spiritual resume that he struggled with, that wasn't the only idol that he struggled with in his life. There was something else, wasn't there? What else was it in this story? The idol that he struggled with. It was money and possessions. And actually, this text leads us to believe that money and possessions were the biggest idol, like the root issue in his life, his money and possessions. And we see that throughout this text. One of the, I mean, there's kind of a spoiler at the end of the text, obviously, we see that. But in the middle of the text, something happens too. See, Jesus calls out a few commands, some of the Ten Commandments. It's actually specifically the last six. And the reason that's significant is the last six commandments, they specifically deal with our relationship with other people, our relationship when it comes to humanity. And then what did this guy say after Jesus lists out those six commandments? This guy says, oh, I've kept those since my youth. Like, I've done those things. He's probably thinking about, like, the good deeds. Yeah, I've been good to the people around me, right? And that's what he's thinking to himself because those commandments specifically, again, relate to the relationships, the horizontal relationships around us with other people. But then what Jesus does is he then kind of takes this to another level. And he's talking about something a little more important, a lot more important, and it's another relationship. It's a relationship with God. And that's where he kind of brings this man. And what is the, if you think about the Ten Commandments, what is the very first commandment? tell us what does it tell us about our relationship with God and where we need to put God in our life does it say that we need to put him second or third or does it say that he should be like right there beside something else maybe like right there beside my wife right right there beside my kids or or right there beside you know uh, my, my money or whatever no it says that God has to be first and there's no middle ground with that. It says that God has to be first in our life. It says you shall have no other God. Another way you can say this is you shall have no, no idol, nothing before me. And not only before him, but also right there next to him. God has to be first in our life. 
Another way of saying this is that if we truly want to be in a right relationship with God, then all the other God, little g gods, like all the other idols, makeshift functional saviors, whatever you want to call them, all of them must fall, and he must be first if we truly want to be in a right relationship with God. And so what Jesus is doing with this man in this scenario is he's trying to really force him to think about this. And he's really trying to draw to the surface the core issues in his life, the idols, really, in his life. He's trying to, to draw them up to the surface so that he's forced to wrestle with these things on his own. Because this dude just wants to talk about the superficial. He wants to glaze by and just, just superficially talk about these things. What can I do to inherit life? But Jesus is like, if you really want to know, then let's talk about that. Let's bring some of these other things up to the surface. And then what he's doing is essentially telling him, once he brings it up to the surface, look, dude, you got to understand, you cannot worship your religion, like your spiritual resume, and then God at the same time. They can't even be on that same pedestal together. You can't do that. It doesn't work like that. And something else is you can't worship your money and your possessions at the same time try to worship God. It doesn't work like that. What Jesus tells us is that we have to worship him first and foremost. We have to follow him first and foremost. Otherwise, we don't worship him. And we don't follow him at all. And there's no middle ground with that. It's, it's been said in this scenario, when it comes to this story, what, what Jesus essentially did with this man is he brought him to this point where he had to wrestle with this and he had to think about this in terms of, you know, think about if, if you had no money, no possessions at all, if it all was taken away and I'm the only thing that you had, if everything was gone, I'm the only thing that you had, am I enough? Am I truly enough? And that's the point that Jesus was bringing this man to. And then when we look at verse 22, we see this guy's response. It says, but he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. In other words, this guy refused to give up his idols to follow Jesus. And rather than turning away from his idols to follow Jesus, which is what repentance is, it's just turning away from those idols, whatever those idols are. For this man, it was money and it was possessions. It was, it was religion. And for some of us, it might be control. It might be, you know, uh, unforgiveness in some area of our life. It might be, you know, some other drugs, whatever it may be. It's just turning away from those things and then turning to Jesus. But rather than doing that, what does this man do? He turns away from Jesus so that he can follow his idol. That's what he does. And then check out what happens next. Jesus looked around to the disciples that were surrounding him, and he said this to the disciples, how hard it is um, for those who have, sorry, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished by his words. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the reason that Jesus is talking about a camel here is like, well, what's up with the camel bit? See, in that, in that area, geographically, the camel, we have to understand, is that's one of the biggest, one of the largest animals around. So what Jesus is doing, he's talking about something that they can relate to, right? Kind of making it more palatable to them. So when he said, when he referenced the camel, instantly what they would think about is a huge, massive animal. Like, and that was the point, a huge, massive animal. So picture this in your mind. Picture like a camel or some huge animal. And then what does he contrast that to? The eye of a needle, something tiny. And at first, you know, sitting back and thinking about the disciples, at first they're probably like laughing. It's like, what are you talking about, dude? That's ridiculous. A camel can't fit through the eye of the needle. And all of a sudden it's like, wait a second. 
That's impossible. You can't do that. I wouldn't even try that. I would look ridiculous if I even tried to fit a camel through the eye of a needle. What are you going to do? Try to put like the hump through the, you know, the eye of the needle first or something? You can't do anything. That is impossible. And that's the point. That's the point. What Jesus is trying to get us to a point to, he's trying to get us to a point to we understand, like, look, there is nothing that we can do. We cannot earn it. We cannot deserve it. It is 100% absolutely impossible for us to save ourselves. There is nothing that we can do. And then in this text, it says, uh, this is what the, the disciples did. They says they were more, they were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? So they're already astonished. They're already baffled by what happened in the scene which the, with this other guy and, and how Jesus told him to leave everything. Because when they're seeing this, again, this guy from the outside in, he looked like he had it all together. As we're diving into this text, we understand that Jesus was bringing his idols up to the surface. But to the disciples, I mean, they, didn't, they, they were like, what is going on? They're already baffled by what's going on in this. And then all of a sudden now, he's saying that there's no way that they can save themselves. And they're astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? In other words, they're thinking, man, this is impossible. It's hopeless. We can't save ourselves. In other words, we are doomed. We're doomed. And guess what? They were right. They were right. It was hopeless. They're doomed. We cannot save ourselves. There is nothing that we can do. There is absolutely no hope apart from, catch this, apart from Jesus. And then check out what Jesus tells them. It says, looking at them, Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. Because all things are possible with God. In other words, what Jesus is saying, yes, you're right. It is impossible. There's nothing that you can do. But guys, that's why I'm here. That's what we understand. That's what we have to understand. This is the point. That's the whole reason that Jesus came. He, that's the purpose of the cross, guys. Jesus came to take our place, to take on our punishment that we could never pay. That's the whole point. That is the gospel message. There's nothing that we can do. That's why Jesus came. And in this text, it says, Peter began to tell him, look, we have left everything and followed you. And don't miss the words, we have left everything and followed you, especially that word everything. So if you've ever wondered what went through the disciples' head when, when, when they followed Jesus, like what were they thinking about, and what did it mean to them to honestly follow Jesus? This text right here tells us. It means that they left everything. That, in other words, Jesus Christ was first. He was center in their life before everything else. And guys, this is so important for us to understand because even though there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves, absolutely nothing at all, that does not mean, catch this, that does not mean that we do nothing, okay? Just because we can't save ourselves, we're completely dependent on Jesus Christ, does not mean that we do nothing. Our part in this is to 100% believe and trust in Jesus Christ's completed work on the cross, to follow him in complete abandonment, and to put him first and foremost in our lives. That's what we're called to do. And that's what it looks like to honestly follow Jesus. And the next in this text this is the last little bit right here. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more. Now at this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life and the age to come. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. In other words, we have to give everything away in order to follow Jesus. 
But in the process of giving everything away in order to follow Jesus, what happens is we in turn gain everything through Jesus. Because Christ, through Christ, we gain salvation. Through Christ, we, we gain hope for our life. And not just now in this life, but for eternity. And through Christ, more importantly, we're put back into a right relationship with God. Because what we have to understand is by following Jesus Christ, what we're doing, what we're choosing to do, is we're choosing to turn away and give up everything that this world has to offer to in turn gain everything that God has to offer. And and in a world, and specifically in a society, that treats following Jesus Christ like nothing more than just the flavor of the week, it is so important for us to get back to what this honestly means and what it honestly looks like to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. The call of Jesus is all or nothing. It's all or nothing. That means that everything that our life is centered on, every aspect of our life is centered on, is following Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to, what does it actually look like to follow Jesus? What does that mean for us? What do we have to do? It means that we have to surrender. We have to surrender to him. And what does it mean to surrender to him? That means that we trust him and that we obey him with everything that we are and everything that we have. Not in perfection, but in love. And no matter what comes our way, no matter what happens in this life, through the pains, through the hardships, persecution, even through, catch this, even through our mistakes and our failures, no matter what, that we continue following him. That's what it looks like. And that's what it honestly means to follow Jesus. So here in just a moment, I wanted to give us a little bit more time today to really focus in on communion. Because this is one of the things, talking about basics and really getting back to the basics, the fundamentals of our faith, this is an opportunity that we get to to remember, for one, the intimacy that we share with Christ. Remember what Jesus Christ has done for us in our place. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, if you're one of his disciples, repentant would mean that you're not perfect, but you are honestly taking that call to follow Jesus seriously, then, man, I'd love for you to be able to come up here and take communion and remember what Jesus has done in your place. And if you're here today and and you're not a follower of Christ, if you've never made that commitment, that choice to follow Jesus honestly, to turn away from whatever those idols are, whatever those things are in your life, and turn and said to Jesus, trusting fully in him, not in in perfection, but in trust, that I want to encourage you, man, don't leave here today. Don't leave here without making that decision. Again, it's not about you being perfect. It's about Jesus Christ being perfect in your place. And we say this all the time. Jesus meets us where we're at. And he'll save you where you're at. So if that's you here today, here in just a moment, we're going to have a prayer team that's going to be over here to the side. I'm going to pray in just a moment. I'm going to invite the worship team, the elders, I'm in the prayer team up. They'll take communion first. And we don't dictate how you need to do this when you do this. So you're not going to have an usher come up to your aisle and tell you, okay, now it's time for you to come up. This is between you and Jesus, okay? So whenever you're ready, whenever they come up, you come up after them. And again, if you have any prayer requests, if there's any questions that you have, please do not leave here today with talking with us. This prayer team would love to talk with you, love to pray with you. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you, Jesus, for the cross, for what you've done for us in our place. And we surrender to the fact that this is all about what you've done for us. It's not about what we've done. But at the same time, we also surrender to the fact that we do have to step out in faith to follow you. And I pray that you help us to do that, to respond to your gospel message, to respond to your grace, Jesus, and what you've done. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in our lives. For people here that have never responded to your gospel, I pray that you would, you would help them to do so. That you would open their eyes, open their hearts. 
and help them to respond to you and follow you and trust and obey it. And for those of us that are already followers of Jesus Christ, I, hope, I pray that you help us to, to take this to, a, to another level, to, to take this more serious and to be intentional in our walk with you. I pray that you grow us closer and closer to you. We thank you so much, Jesus. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, we're, we, we're, uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.